This summer, click into cordless power with Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. And keep your flower beds looking fresh with the 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Then clear leaves and debris with the 40-volt leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at the Home Depot and on homedepot.com. How doers get more done. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott. And I am Ben, and today we are still hosting Car Stuff, don't worry. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to talk about hazardous materials, or hazmats. Correct, Amundo. Yes. Now, it's okay to be correct, and that's not in itself hazardous, but uh, we, we we came up with this idea, rather, because... We have those moments, everybody has those moments, where you're driving and you see that very distinctive diamond-shaped sign. And if you're a fan of you know disaster movies and things like that, uh, then you already know. You, I'm sure you already have elaborate disaster scenarios in your head. Where oh, yeah, sure. The, uh, the liquid nitrogen truck overturns. Mm-hmm. Everybody freezes and breaks into a million pieces. Yeah, yeah. How's and then that? Q action. That was really good. Yeah, I know. I'm always a little paranoid about that one. Really, for me, it's uh, log trucks. Oh, lo- oh, you know what? But they're not even hazardous. No, yeah. they- <laughs> yes, they are. My neighbor, my neighbor in Indiana, when I lived in Indiana, mm-hmm. uh, uh, my next door neighbor's mother um, was killed by a log truck. I, uh, you know, the the load shifted on a curvy road, and I think it was in Kentucky or Tennessee. Oh no! And uh, crushed the car that she was in. So they are hazardous in their own way, but uh, not hazardous material. So to speak, like where you have to call in a team of experts to to remove said material from the road. Right. That's uh Oh yeah. sorry, man. Yeah, I did I see your uh downturned face there. That uh didn't mean to take it in the wrong direction. Well, you're not making anyone else with an irrational fear of log trucks <laughs> feel true. any better. You know what? I'm I'm actually kinda worried about those when I see them as well. Just because mainly because of that story, but they look so precariously placed on there, I Right. I, 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 you know, we know that the people driving those and the people loading those are professionals. Oh, sure. I'm the same way about round, uh, sewer pipes. You know, those big concrete oh, yeah. pipes, but the ones that are round specifically. Cause, Cause you I, know they can roll. I know that they're easy to roll off of there. So, eh, just a worry I have. So to add to some of your fears. No, I'm kidding. Actually, to, uh, <laughs> what, what we'd like to do with this episode is, um, to sort of explain 
what hazardous materials are, uh, how they're transported, just a little, little look at, um, the substances behind those diamond signs. Yeah, and they mean something. There's very something very specific. There's a uh, um, um, a, a system in place, yeah. I guess, that everybody adheres to. So that uh, you know that diamond that you see, um, it's the same for every company, mm-hmm. it, but they have to adjust it according to the load that they carry. And uh, do you want to kind of go over this uh, the system that they use, or how do you uh, want to break into this? Ben? Sure, you. You'll do – why don't you do the system? Well, no let's problem. start with a definition of hazardous materials. Sure, so, go right ahead. Uh, this is from the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. Uh, the definition of hazardous materials are those designated by the Secretary of the DOT, Department of Transportation, as, quote, posing an unreasonable threat to the public and the environment. Uh, end quote. So boring. You know, I know. You and, know here, here's the thing. Yeah. It can explode or it can, uh, it can some, suddenly chemically change into something that mm-hmm. would, uh, would really, really hurt you. Corrosive material. Poisonous. Yeah. That's they're, more exciting, Ben. There are nine. You're Snake right. Snake venom on wheels. You're, you're right. I love that definition though, because if you cut it down to layman's terms, what it's basically saying is hazardous material is what the secretary of the DOT says it is. <laughs> this stuff's going to blow up. Yeah, there are um, there are nine classes yeah. that go in there. Um, those include uh, explosives, gases, flammable liquid, flammable solids, oxidizers, organic peroxides, uh, poisonous or infectious substances, radioactive material, of course, uh, corrosives, and then class nine is miscellaneous dangerous goods. Fantastic. Um, so why don't we go ahead and talk about the, you know, maybe the colors. Or oh, the, yeah, yeah, the sign itself because, yeah. um, you know, the, the diamond that we're talking about is on the back of trucks. It's on the side. It's well marked on most vehicles. Well, it has to be well marked yeah. on every vehicle that, that carries hazardous materials or it should be anyways uh, if they're adhering to the DOT standards. The uh, the there's a, there's a red Square, I guess, or diamond, another diamond. These are diamonds within diamonds, I guess. Yes. Uh, four diamonds within the big diamond. Uh, there's red at the top, blue on the left, yellow on the right, and then a, a white one at the bottom. And, uh, the blue one means the health hazard of the material that's being carried, either, at, um, one, uh, zero through four, rather. Mm-hmm. Four being deadly. Three is extreme danger. Two is hazardous. One is slightly hazardous. And zero is normal material, which I don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. Normal is always a weird word to use. Yeah. I don't know, normal material, but zero. Uh, then, then the red one is fire hazard or the flash point of the material being carried. And that goes from again, zero to four. Uh, number four is below 73 degrees Fahrenheit, which that's a little scary. Yeah. That's uh, a, yeah, that's yeah, incredibly, keep, uh, keep that really flammable. cool. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, number three below 100 degrees Fahrenheit, two below 200, one above 200, and then zero is will not burn. So zero is the safest in that case. Mm-hmm. Uh, the yellow diamond is instability of the substance. Now, this one, <laughs> this this is really scary. goes again from four to zero. Number four may detonate. Number three, shock and heat may detonate. So that's like, what, mm-hmm. nitroglycerin, I guess. Sure. Uh, number two, violent chemical change. That sounds bad. Uh, number one, unstable if heated, not so bad. And then zero is stable. So mm-hmm. again, zero are, are the ones you want to see on this truck in front of you, I guess. Right. Uh, and then the, the white one is what? Specific hazard. Mm-hmm. And that goes from, uh, these have letters to designate what they are or a symbol for radiation hazard. Right. Um, it can be an oxidizer, acid, alkali, corrosive, or some, you know, a mark that tells you don't put any water on this. So if there's a fire on the truck, 
don't throw any water on top of the sink. What would that be like? Magnesium, maybe? Something yeah, like that? maybe something like that. Use uh, any chemical that would basically require you in a disaster to use a different sort of flame suppressant. Sure, yeah, like they do at um, you know airport runways and things that sure. they they foam things down instead of instead of just spraying water directly on mm-hmm. the fire. Um, could be. Like a grease fire, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where you f- that that only makes matters worse. And then on also on those signs or those little uh, placards there, there are four digits. Um, and these these four digit numbers, excuse me, these will be on the sides of the trucks and the cars, like oh. rail cars, okay. railway cars. This is another kind of sign. Um, they refer to specific chemicals or group of chemicals that are actually signed by the United Nations or the U.S. Uh, Department of Transportation um, to describe these chemicals or these class, what classification these fit into. Mm-hmm. Um, there are too many really for us to go into in, in too much debt, depth, not debt, Freudian <laughs> slip Yeah, there, what are you huh? thinking about? I'm student loans. Think of the bills. <laughs> yeah, uh, but you can check the uh, – Department of Transportation's emergency response guidebook to figure out what each of those individual numbers means. Okay, very good. So, you know, what all these do is they help um, emergency vehicles or um, Mm -hmm. first responders or uh, just even people that, you know, need to know this type of thing, like the, uh, you know, the people patrolling the highway to make sure that, you know, the the correct materials are being hauled on the roads because there are certain roads that restrict flammable or explosive cargo. Um, they're, you know, they have bypasses for those, those vehicles. I'm sure that, uh, anything with a radiation risk, uh, has, you know, special, special designations of what roads they can and cannot travel, maybe even times a day that they can travel. I've heard of this before in the past that, yeah, I can um, see that. you know, they shoot for times when there's very little traffic on the road. Don't take your depleted uranium through the Boston rush hour. That's right. right. Yeah. They may, uh, designate, sure, you can do it, but do it at 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. You know, something like that. I don't, I don't know if it's even possible, but, um, you know, there, there are certain rules in place to uh, to make sure that you know the drivers adhere to that or the companies adhere to that. And um, oh, that's right. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Well, there are the the laws that we've looked at here are um, <clears throat> designed to. Let's see. What's the best way to say this? Well, let's go with what our, our buddies in at the uh, the Fed level say. Um, these are really just a list of classifications, as you said, Scott, for first responders, but also to ensure the proper packing and shipping uh, precautions are met. Oh, okay. So you're not putting, uh, like you said, uranium in some beat-up old pickup truck and hauling that through town. Yeah, just toss it in the back. No, but, no, no. Uh, there's certain certain ways to carry certain materials, right? Right. And for the um, – this is a sweet deal for the normal driver. You know, you're just in your daily driving car mm-hmm. because this is a series of laws that is designed entirely to make you safe and you don't really have to do anything if you are – a little bit nervous about the way somebody's driving with hazardous material, um, then really you can get out of the way. But thanks to this law, you'll know what they have. And learning to read these signs is is relatively simple. But let's talk about who uh, who has to do the work dictated in these uh, in these laws. Uh, they three of the big people we have to know are three of the big roles are what are called the employer, the employee, and the offerer. Now, an offerer for us, we would just probably call that a shipper, the person actually shipping the goods. Uh, the employer is, of course, someone who uses or a company who uses their employees in connection with transporting hazmats, uh, getting them prepared to transport, um, or is basically 
any way associated with anything that's in any way associated with um, transportation of hazardous materials. And there's a question here, like why why does the chain of responsibility extend that far? Um, and it's quite simply because the potential for disaster, regardless how small, um, is still definitely there, um, especially if we're talking about, you know, um, something that's a yellow diamond at rated four. That's our may detonate. Yeah, that would just, be a bad one. Just might blow up. Yeah, we so. think so. So you need, you need drivers that are licensed for, to, to haul said material mm-hmm. that know the dangers involved with this material. Right. And, uh, and know what to do in certain situations to avoid, let's say, detonation. Yes. And <laughs> very important, I would think. Yeah. So, um, you know, we laugh about it, but I mean, these, these rules come down from, you know, from above. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there's a reason for every one of them. You know, I know some of them may seem kind of crazy, but are over the top. But again, it's, it's to protect the people that are all around the vehicle on the road and, and the people, of course, driving the vehicle and, and the place where they're, you know, they're shipping to and from. Right. Um, it's all about safety, really. Yeah. And there's, and as a result, there are, uh, registration requirements mm-hmm. for anybody who's going to be affiliated with the transportation of a hazmat or hazmats. Um, they need to, Let's see, you have to register in advance. You have to receive uh, training within, I think uh, the way the law goes now is you have to receive training within 90 days. If you're not currently qualified, every three years you have to requalify or whenever there's a change. There are some uh, in the laws. There are some exceptions. Uh, if you are an agency of the federal government, I'm sorry, you work for an agency of the federal <laughs> government, a state agency or a political, uh, they phrase it a political subdivision of the state. Um, if you're already a hazmat employee, if you're um, living outside the U.S. and you offer hazardous material solely from outside the U.S., that may be an issue of jur- jurisdiction. Um but you know, registration—you have to do it every year, and it does include a fee. So you uh, get you get a safety permit, really. You get a, a safety permit from the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, which is the FMCSA. Mm-hmm. And then once you have that permit, uh, you need to register with something called the PHMSA, which is the Pipeline and Hazardous Materials Safety Administration, and that allows you then to uh, you know go through this, or at least begin carrying uh, this hazardous material, whatever mm-hmm. it may be. I mean, and and we're talking about. Um, a lot of different things, right? I mean, there's it's yeah. explosives, it's uh, it's um, you know liquid nitrogen, it's liquid oxygen, sure. it's it's uh, fuel, it's um, it's oil, mm-hmm. um, even Ben, milk. Milk. Now you've mentioned that. Let's let's sidebar this. Break this down for yeah, me. Yeah, sure. What's going on? Yeah, this is kind of weird because raw milk is considered a uh, hazardous material. Because it hasn't been pasteurized. This maybe? is raw milk. I get. I guess, and I don't know if it's. I don't. I don't. I didn't find out if it was specifically raw milk or if it's also pasteurized. If it's it, because what it has to do with it is the way that the EPA and the Department of Transportation want to classify milk um, as oil. There's oil in the milk. It's a. But but what it comes from is it's fats and oils of animal origin is how um okay. the EPA and the DOT see it right yeah. so milk having oil is and i i'm not you know a chemist or anything but um of course <laughs> all right but um apparently there's oil in there and that is so if you have a large scale spill let's say on a highway mm-hmm. uh the danger is of course bacteria 
you know, you need to find a way to, to wash this down. It's not just a matter of diluting it. Right. Uh, because of these oils, I guess they have to contain the spill and, and remove the material. Um, but, uh, another thing is that if there's water nearby, I guess it, could t- it can contaminate water easily. And I never thought about milk and water, uh, you know, not mixing all that well because mm-hmm. of the oil within milk. But um, there is an environmental hazard with it. And I know it sounds really silly, you know, for milk spill. It, it, and it kind of is in a way. Um, I just don't – I don't see a, a huge, huge risk with spilled milk. Well, you can't cry about it. We know that. But now it seems like it's nothing to laugh at either. <laughs> huh? I was, was waiting. I was really was waiting so for it. I, I knew it was going to come up somehow. Oh, man. Do we – I'm too predictable now. Yeah. But – um. That's, you know, that's a really interesting case because you mentioned this to me before, uh, we went on the air and it's baffling, but it is, again, it's sort of an illustration of a better safe than sorry situation. Sure. And a lot of times the reason for transporting these materials now, they could be used in manufacturing. You know, mm-hmm. they could be taking, you know, one material from one location to another. It could be from the source to the place where it's going to be used in, in, uh, production of some kind. Right. Um, or it could be waste. And in the case of waste, um, they take it to certain toxic landfills, you know, dumps. Mm-hmm. Um, some of these are called Superfund sites. Have you ever heard of Superfund f- sites? Yes. Not, not fun. Yes. Superfund. F-U-N-D. Like fundamental. Um, and if you do a search, you can find um, Superfund sites in your own area. <laughs> also Superfund sites, I guess. But um, <laughs> if you search um, – just do a Google search for Toxmap, T-O-X-M-A-P, and uh, you should be able to find uh, a, a map that shows either super fun sites or toxic sites in your area. And what they are is um, these sites that the EPA, they they find the responsible. This is where they, they house all of this material that uh, the government is taking care of, really, I guess. Right, the, okay. um, the EPA finds a responsible party. And this is what is this is what a super fund is really. Yeah. The EPA is responsible to find the responsible party for um, the spill or the you know the mess that has to be cleaned up. And if they can, you know, they make the person pay for the cleanup and you know where the material goes to, the you know the, whatever the costs are associated with that. Right. If they can't find the responsible party, or if the party just doesn't exist, um, they do of course. But um, <laughs> if the you know it's a natural disaster or something like that, mm-hmm. um, the EPA. Pays to clean it up using a special fund, which you know they have designated as the as as super fund, and um, it's stuff that's. I mean, some of it, some of it's literally buried, you know, just to keep yeah. it out of uh, out, you know, from air contamination. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really kind of an interesting story if you dig into super fund sites and what they contain, which is frankly a disturbing amount of waste. It is an awful disturbing amount of waste. Read the. Uh, Read, read the radioactive Boy Scout if you want to get an idea of what may be contained at a Superfund site. That's uh, there's a shed buried in some desert somewhere, uh, thanks to that. But it's an interesting story, and it'll give you an idea of what they may take care of and how they clean up. And let's also just to catch folks up about the radioactive Boy Scout. Uh, this is correct me if I'm wrong, Scott. This is the story of the person who, as a Boy Scout managed to scrape enough of that glowing material off of watches. Correct, yeah. And with and it, he from, built... from, uh, uh, what was it, smoke detectors, mm-hmm. chips from smoke detectors, and uh, he built a, well, he built a, uh, a, was it a fusion reactor or a fission reactor? I don't fission, remember. Fission, it had to be fission. Fission reactor in his parents' shed in his backyard. And then he got in trouble, and of he got course. Busted. Yeah. He got busted with it, uh, riding around with it in his car. But 
he went back and repeated this a couple <laughs> that's, times, that's right? That's right, yeah. There's a recent, there's some updates to the story, but, uh, the, the interesting, the real interesting part of it is the, the history of it, you know, where he, mm-hmm. where it all started in his parents' backyard. So it's called, again, the Radioactive Boy Scout. Just check it out. It's a quick read and, uh, definitely interesting. And let, uh, Scott, let's tell these folks some things that will hopefully make you feel a little more secure on the road. When you're driving around a hazmat vehicle, sure, as you should, yeah, they uh, the carriers are responsible for uh, several things. There, of course, they need to have their employees have to receive, you know, function specific training. They have to have safety training, and they also have to have uh, what's called security awareness training. Um, now, these, as we said, these are kind of a um, these are these sorts of training uh recur every three years uh with the initial training and anytime there's a change in job function but there's also a uh there's also a great emergency response system set in place where they've got an emergency response telephone number and it has to be monitored at all times while you know the waste is being hauled. Oh, I see. So it's a uh, continuous monitoring from point to point. To me, that's tremendously reassuring. Yes. It's not like, because can, can you imagine being stuck in some, let's just go worst case scenario. Um, there's a radiation hazard. It's mm-hmm. gone crazy. You see the overturned tanker and then you see <laughs> that, that little diamond and you think, oh man. And you call the emergency number and it goes, Thank you. Your call. Thank you for your time. Your call is very important to us. Please stay on the line, and someone will be with you. Oh my gosh! Press would be one a, for health hazard. That would be <laughs> terribly frustrating, wouldn't it? But uh, like you're saying, you know, once they, they know something has gone wrong at Ooh. that point, and uh, you know, if I was a driver, I think I would carry my own set of hacksaws, uh, <laughs> a hammer to break the window out. I would carry uh, the jaws of life to cut my way out. Whatever it took to get away from that vehicle. Um, and you should just not, not just you in specific, but we all as drivers, uh, should carry, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of those little hammers that can break a glass window. Are you? Yeah. I think Mm -hmm. they're, I think that they have potential to be very useful. Really? Okay. Very good. I hope that I'll never be in a situation where I have to break a window to get out. Are you talking about like escaping, uh, well, I guess any case, but, um, maybe like in a lake or something? Sure. Like a sinking car, you know, or, um, Maybe the door is crushed up and inoperable. You're well prepared, Ben. Uh, you know what? I don't know how well prepared I am. I think I could always be, have, have more, uh, preparation, but, uh, no way, man. Are you kidding? I don't want to have to, I, I, I don't know if a hammer is necessary for everybody because I will bust that bad boy out with my elbow. Ah, uh, come on. With my try head if it you comes know what, try to it. it. Try it today. Let's see what happens. No, I got to have my a, endorphins going, you a, dude. You have a sling the next day, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I got you. If I have my endorphins going. Sure. Yeah, sure. You could, you could lift your car. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we should do a part of the door off like Henry Ford. Then I would be my own hazardous material. Yeah, that's right. right? Um but that's that's basically what we want to do with this podcast, right? Is just break down what it is, what those signs mean. Exactly, and I hope we, you got some understanding of of the system because there is a system in place, this classification system, mm-hmm. and uh, you know you should be reassured that you know these things are being monitored and and carefully checked. They're uh, they're not quite as dangerous as you may think they are on the road. And before we head off into the sunset here, uh, I've got a little listener mail. If you're interested, I am. Okay, Scott. So Rob writes into us uh, from Georgia, 
our home state over here. And he says, hey, guys, as a certifiable gearhead, your podcast is one of my favorites. Um, your recent episode about driver's education really got my attention because I own a driving school in Georgia. Now, he says that he goes on to say uh, that he has a couple description or a couple corrections for our description of Joshua's law as it applies to teen drivers. Um, his school specializes in teaching Joshua law classes. He said it, uh, it bugged him a little to hear some misinformation. It's a Georgia only law. Um, and it went into effect in 07 as a result of a fatal single vehicle accident of Joshua Brown. So his parents began a teen driving safety advocacy program resulting in Joshua's law. The law requires anybody who wishes to get their Class D driver's license when they're 16 must complete a Georgia Department of Driver Services training program. Uh, an important distinction is that the program is not mandatory. If you don't want to take it, you just have to wait till you're 17 to get a Class D license. And so he breaks down. It's a it's a 30 hour class taught by a state certified instructor, completed driver student driver workbook, 40 hours of supervised driving with a parent or guardian, um, and you have to do at least six of those hours at night. And then there are uh, some options that you can take a six-hour behind-the-wheel training course with a training school, um, and completing that course eliminates the need to complete the driver handbook, but you still have to do that 40 hours of supervised driving, which I think is a great idea. Oh, I think it's a very good idea. So we, we thought it was a national law. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's a state law. Mm-hmm. And also we weren't clear on – I thought it was mandatory as well. I thought uh, that everybody had to complete that, but uh, you're saying that if you wait until you're 17, mm. you're beyond that age. For this law, which is, again, only, Got only it. in Georgia. And, okay. Um, Good info. He, <laughs> and then he uh, – let's see. He he writes on with some more information. We won't go into it now. But um, That was a long email. It was a long email. It was very, it was very in-depth and really appreciated uh, the feedback there. So, Rob, thanks so much for writing in. And I got to tell everybody, you guys, I I do uh, really enjoy when we have the opportunity to get feedback and to bring it back to our listeners on the air. Um, but, man, guys, I screwed up on this one because I read Rob's email and I wrote back and I said, those are really good points. Thank you. And <laughs> – I have my, I, I did, I must have had my auto text on or something because I wrote back and thanked him for more information on Jacob's Law oh, and not Joshua's Law. Yeah. Oh, that's right. But Rob, thanks for being a trooper. He even wrote back and, and, uh, said, you know which one it is, right? I do. Sorry for the typo. You're thinking um, of Jacob's Ladder. I am thinking of Jacob's Ladder. Sure. Which, uh, is its own podcast entirely. <laughs> sure. But, um, so we're going to go ahead and uh, head out there. Scott, I don't know. What do you think, man? Should we ask people for uh, any hazmat stories? Oh, why not? I mean, I guess, well, that'd be pretty interesting, really, to find mm-hmm. out if anybody's in, been involved in a situation where uh, the hazmat team has had to been, you know, have been called out or you've mm-hmm. seen the hazmat team in action. Because uh, those guys, those guys do a, a just great service. I mean, I, that's a difficult, difficult job. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't uh, envy them at all, especially in those hazmat suits in the summertime. Oh, gosh, yeah. Got to be difficult. Got to be really hot in there. Well, they're... Uh, but, yeah, anybody that's got any kind experts. of any kind of hazmat uh, firsthand experience, I'd, li- I'd like to hear from them. Yes, and you can tell us about it on our Facebook or on our Twitter. You can also... Uh, check out our uh, information we've got an article about hazardous materials on the website and if you'd like to tell us your story directly 
please do send us an email at carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at Viking.com. This summer, click into cordless power with Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. And keep your flower beds looking fresh with the 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Then clear leaves and debris with the 40-volt leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at the Home Depot and on homedepot.com. How doers get more done.